Welcome to Grantmaker Coffee Talks, a podcast for grantmakers to listen and learn from their peers. In this episode, we're discussing what the new normal will look like for grantmakers post-pandemic. This discussion comes from a webinar that was recorded on May 21st. The topics covered were whether COVID has permanently altered how funders partner with grantees, what the day-to-day changes will look like and will they live on past the pandemic, and how do you shed light on lessons learned within your organization. All right, let's join the conversation. The first voice we are going to hear is Ashley Harper, who was the webinar moderator, followed by Adrian Fielding with the Association of American Medical Colleges. Glad to have everybody joining us today. Thank you. So while this pandemic is by no means over and we're not not beyond it, um, you know, the cities and states are starting to reopen. Um, some places are you know, open for business and so forth. So um, as, as this is unfolding uh, in different ways in different places, um, I'd like to know what are some of the conversations that you are either having or planning to have or know that you need to have. This could be with other funders, uh, with grantees. I'd like to hear what some, some plans are going forward. Hi, everybody. Thank you. I am with the Association of American Medical Colleges, and I co-convene a small grant-making um, single funding round um, of volunteers from, from across the association. We do we have a small grant making program to DC nonprofits, which is where we're based each year. Our funding cycle typically kicks off right after Labor Day. And as in my role for leading this volunteer um, committee, I've been already working on thinking through the different options that I've seen out there for, um, for funding moving forward. Um, we have continued to prepare as if it's going to be a funding cycle as in past years, a competitive funding cycle, et cetera. But since we made a couple of post-award adjustments to our most recent awards, we dropped reporting requirements. We allowed for more flexibility in the face of COVID. I'm already working on the side um, for a couple of plan B options. Um, that would be a less competitive or non-competitive funding round for the fall. So in our case, what that will require is um, for the co-convener and I to develop some proposals um, for what that plan B might look like, um, informed by some of our colleagues in the community engagement office, et cetera, to understand sort of what the most pressing local needs right now are in the city. And we'll bring those to our executive sponsors who are members of the leadership team, get their, um, get their preferences, get their, their way in and, and approval um, with how we might move forward. But it's a little bit of a guessing game about how long we should wait <laughs> to do that. Um, because honestly, the sooner we have that, that clarity made about whether to proceed as normal or whether to go with a, with a plan B that's more responsive to the current situation, the better for everybody. A lot of uncertainty out there. Yeah, sounds like you're getting pretty organized, though. That's that's really good to hear. We're trying to because it is a volunteer activity, so it's something that I have to try to get in front of sooner than later 
to sort of coordinate the folks who are um, who are doing this in addition to their day job. It's part of my day job, but everyone else that's that's involved with this is doing that in addition to to their day job. Artisha Lawson, I'm with the Greater Toledo Community Foundation. Um, so there's a few things I just wanted to raise um, from this topic. And it's looking at different angles. So in terms of funding, during this time uh, with COVID, it's actually provided a unique opportunity to collaborate with existing funders, just to make sure that we're not overlapping each other, that we're really spreading the dollars effectively. Um, so that's been a unique opportunity that's been raised because we've always had the question about what other funding sources are you looking into, whether it's part of your initial plan or part of your sustainability, but now we're really drilling down and actually having these conversations with other funders so that if we make a decision that impacts a project, instead of just throwing out random, we'll go apply for this, we can really give them specific information on where this funding source is coming from. Um, it's also allowed us to have conversations with some of our donor advised funds that some of the projects, especially summer, summer projects that were on the table before COVID, um, don't immediately dismiss them. You know, maybe allow them the opportunity to modify their plan um, without us putting those road blockers in place. Um, it's also allowed us to have conversations with a lot of our grantees or new um, grant seekers about what is our normal at the foundation and what is not normal. With the foundation, um, the, the one that I serve, a lot of our grant opportunities have remained the same. We haven't changed any dates, it's just, we work remotely. Mm -hmm. So that's alleviated some of their concerns if they had grants in the pipeline and they're expecting decisions. So it's really putting the ball in their court um, if they have to make a change, which brings me to my last point. It's having conversations with some of the agencies that grantees are more, I guess, open with, because, um, we have the Center for Nonprofit Resources in Toledo, and there are times, we, you know, I have open conversations with the center, and one topic came up where a grantee has submitted a grant, they were awarded the funds, it was for a summer program, and they didn't know how to communicate to their program officer that obviously the program would have to change. And ironically, it was one of the, the grants that I work with. So I told her, I said, well, just tell them to have the conversation with their program officer. It's completely understandable that if you have a summer activity and you were awarded funds, obviously there's going to be an extension or a change, you know, but, but it's also let, putting it out there that if you have issues that come up that all of us do with programs, you can let your program officer know, and it's not a deal breaker. That I, I'm really glad you brought up the topic of um, 
this situation allowing for conversations that we may not have had before. I think sometimes with everybody in the same proverbial boat, um, that allows for some reflection and, and it, it puts us maybe more on even footing and, and we can have conversations that we may not have had before, funders, applicants, et cetera. Thank you. We're located in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, South, Southwestern PA, very, very small community foundation. Um, we have, I think the way we would probably maybe look at things differently, it wasn't often that we supported operating, general operating. It was always, you know, show us a program or a project you're working on. And prior to COVID, we had actually um, offered a, a workshop and we called it executive director boot camp where we had 25 nonprofits apply and we were going to give them a small operating grant just to attend the workshop. And that was going to be our feeder into our first day of giving, which is also planned for the fall of this year. So um, obviously, you know, that, that was a, a good sell pitch to get quote unquote free money. Um, but that all fell through because of COVID. Our, our boot camp was scheduled for April. And, um, but, I, but I think going forward, because of how badly the nonprofits have been hit, we will um, look more at giving some operating grants mm -hmm. as opposed to tell us your program and project. Right, right. That's good. I imagine, I imagine a lot of folks are hopefully looking at, at that as an option. Okay. Also, uh, application decision process. What, el what else is going to change? Um, so when we, when we started our emergency fund, uh, which was new this year, um, I think we will you know, continue to grow on that. But that was a very, it was a very basic application. There wasn't a lot involved in that. And actually, the, our committee will be reviewing that, those um, applications shortly. And, and I think a lot of that was just for operating. So I think we, we will probably um, maybe pare down what our application currently looks like going mm -hmm. forward if we're, if we're asking, if we're inviting just operating grant making as opposed to, you know, give me a, a budget for XYZ project. Right. Thank you. Hello, Heidi Dusick with the JJ Keller Foundation. Um, just to give two pieces of context that I think are important is we had a collaborative relationship with a number of funders prior to COVID. Uh, and early on in March, we were able to mobilize that pretty quickly. I don't know if it was as strong as it is today. So I'll say that that um, network has been really strong in sharing the learning, but also sharing our grant making. So I can tell you through the 40 funders that participate in Northeast Wisconsin, in those calls, we've granted like around 3 million to date um, because we're tracking that, but the learning has been super rich. So that's been helpful. Well, I'll speak a little bit to the second piece of context I was gonna mention is we already gave operating funding. And so it actually shifted for us while we're not losing sight of operating funding. How do we do more than just operating? So phase two, we're starting to see two different tracks come to light. One would be organizations that we've previously supported 
uh, or have been in contact, all of the community foundations in our region started, a, I should say most jointly with United Way, um, created a COVID fund and many funders contributed to that fund. And so funders were trying in this collaborative group that we're talking about, I mentioned earlier, we're trying to assess who's gotten grants through the COVID funds and who's, do, who's funding outside of those funds. So it's just been helpful transparency. So as we look now towards the future of those who have gotten uh, grants, kind of emergency grants or operating support grants during this emergency, how many continue to need our support is kind of that first track that we're assessing in, into this next phase. And then how do, if, if and when we support them again, what does the additional assistance look like? Can we wrap around some technical assistance with that to help them get towards, through whatever struggles they're currently having? There's a lot of different players at different points. And so we found we can't have a one size fits all approach. And so trying to figure out where we play um, in that space has been helpful. And then the second track we're kind of seeing is this bridge building gap. So we see organizations that are starting to innovate towards a new solution and need some bridge money to help get them there. Um, and so that's kind of what I would say our phase two looks like. The last thing I'll mention is as we've talked about this, we did carve out, because we were supporting operating dollars, uh, the private foundation that I represent carved out additional funding for a focus strategy. So we realized like food wasn't gonna be an area, even though we support basic needs, food wasn't gonna be an area that we were gonna put dollars into because they didn't need us, so to speak, in that space. Like the amount of food and the other funders that were in that space recommended we shift our focus to uh, safe shelters and housing stability and um, supporting the mental health system as they all were quickly transitioning to telehealth. And so that's maybe a, a different type of model where we're continuing the operating, but then we shifted some funding to be more focused funding. And in terms of the application, um, we kept the application as is. Our, our application is pretty short. Um, it's only two pages long, and one of those pages is a financial overview. The only thing is we have some follow-up. We're doing more conversational grant making um, so my, my board has been pretty nimble to make decisions um, outside of the board meeting. So I would say our decision-making process has sped up and become more fluid than, you know, waiting until our quarterly board meetings. We, we tend to review things now um, via, you know, I'll send them a proposal and we'll talk about it weekly or, or as needed as, a, as opposed to a time-sensitive or time-limited framework. And are you having to use different tools than than you were this is kind of a later question but it goes right right into that if you're having to meet with your board and make decisions more quickly are you using different technologies or tools that you haven't in the past yeah yeah so we had our first video board meeting and two of my board members are in their 70s and some are in their 30s so it was just kind of a fun uh test <laughs> of like how what does our board structure look like and how are we doing our meetings so we use teams for that um, we were still able to record it and have all the documentation to to you know to make those decisions effectively and everybody felt good about it but it was kind of an interesting experiment yeah yeah excellent thank you i'm susan wood and I'm executive director and also the treasurer of the Wilson Wood Foundation. And we're located a little south of Sarasota in Florida. And we fund Sarasota and Manatee counties in Florida. 
And um, we have changed the way we have done our application process. Uh, we had a new board member join us in March and it was her suggestion that we do this because of the COVID-19. And what we've done in here is that we've always had a letter of inquiry phase. And then uh, we've always pushed those grantees that we were interested in to a second phase. Well, now because of this uh, emergent with the uh, virus, now we're doing the one phase only. So we are going to be reviewing all our grants after our June 1st deadline and making uh, final decisions on all of them. And we've always had very good relationships with many of our grantees. So I just called up most of them um, when this thing broke out and I, we're very reactive in here. We're not proactive. So I asked them how and what we could do to do things differently. And we listened to what they had to say. And some of theirs were emergent needs. Some of them were sustainability needs of their programs to go, go forward. And we were very impressed because most of the organizations that we have funded in the past for programs have put them all on uh, virtual um, online programs, which mm -hmm. um, they have told me a lot of great stories have come out of that. Um, for example, just like uh, the Literacy Council here, where uh, they used to hold classes to help people learn to read and write uh, in libraries. And the shame involved evidently had kept others from learning. So now that they're on remote um, and online, they have been able to sign up and learn that way. So just uh, many stories I've heard that have come out of this that really warmed our hearts in here. But what we're gonna do is we're making final decisions in our uh, mid-June meeting, board meeting, and then we will be making payouts sooner. And we're, we told the organizations, we'll look at anything, uh, whatever their need is, uh, we will entertain. So that that put them at a uh, less less burden for them to fill out additional paperwork and um, to know that they could have the funding in their hands a lot sooner if they're awarded. Great, thank you, Susan. I, that's uh, we always have the lessons that we kind of expect to learn things we are anticipating, but uh, that's a, that is a really interesting story about folks being able to. Um, you know, sign up online and do something they may not have done otherwise. Right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, I think maybe one, if we have one more um, hand raised and then we'll move on. I'm with the Castellano Family Foundation um, in Northern California, San Francisco Bay Area. So we've done a number of things, but in line with what others have said, uh, relaxing our requirements, we made, uh, we were, we had just started a grant cycle 
when all this happened. So um, we just renewed those grants. They were applicants, people, you know, organizations we funded in the past. So we just automatically renewed their grants and suspended the grant cycle. Mm -hmm. We ex expect to suspend our fall grant cycle as well. Um, but one thing we're doing that's new that we're launching uh, on June 1st is we're actually convening, much like you are, and I was kind of inspired by what you're doing with these conversations. Uh, we're going to be convening virtual uh, conversations um, online with our grantees by cohorts. Mm. And, the per and the purpose is to bring them together and give them the opportunity to, you know, just just come together for one thing and talk about what they're facing and then start to talk about how they're, you know, what the new normal is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And that'll both help them figure it out together as a cohort because they're, you know, for example, arts and culture organizations, they're all working in the same, we're in one county. I mean, we serve one county, so they all know each other and they, they interact from time to time. So this will bring them together to think, of how that sector is going to look going forward and how they're part of that transformation and how they can figure out what to do. At the same time, we will be listening to what they're saying to figure out how we can support them in that transition. Fantastic. That's great. Thank you, Angie. Actually, Angie, one follow-up question from the chat. Um, is there a, a way that you could speak to how you're um, vetting your organizations to make sure that the current grantees are those with the most pressing needs? Uh, well, we, we have been doing, we have been funding a lot of these organizations for a long time and we're very targeted in our funding. We're, uh, our, our funding is in arts and culture, education and leadership development. And then mm -hmm. within that, there's very specific strategies. And we also focus on funding Latino-led, uh, Latino-based community organizations. Awesome. So, so we, we really know and understand and trust and have worked with those group of grantees for a long time. So it sounds a lot like a sort of trust-based philanthropy. It is long-term relationship. It is. It's gotcha. trust-based philanthropy. And so, and, and the other thing we're doing, and we had started this prior to all of the, uh, you know, prior to COVID-19 is we are collaborating and we, we issued a report on, on our sector, the sector we fund and the needs of that sector. And we had just issued it at the end of February mm -hmm. and, uh, partnered with a couple of large foundations, Silicon Valley Community Foundation and David and Lucille Packard Foundation. And um, so we're, we're doing much more collaboration to bring in other funders and try to partner and get them to match, for example, our operating support to those organizations. So we're, we're continuing to do that. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, it, sound, it sounds like there's, um, a lot that we're learning and to be learned some of it such as operating costs we might expect but um, Heidi I appreciate the bridge building uh, grants that that you brought up you know that's that's something we may not have not have thought of so lots to be learned um, what about you know how are folks doing day to day what's what's the new normal look like um, for you and are you are y'all talking about that yet James Patterson in uh, Rockford, Illinois, Northern Illinois, a community foundation here. Um, yeah, so we, um, 
we did very little working from home in the past. Um, didn't really have the technology to do it. Well, we did have some of the technology to do it, but we didn't really have a, a good plan for that. So obviously that changed uh, right away whenever um, when this hit. And um, fortunately, uh, we had we did have laptops that we could take, and um, we were able to get on Zoom immediately. And so um, that transition was pretty really pretty painless overall. Uh, and I think now, you know, we're looking ahead and um, it's already coming up that uh, there might be situations where it would be better for a person to work at home in certain circumstances. Um, and whereas before that was not even considered, it was you know, really, we want you in the office. Um, so that's kind of an interesting de development out of it. And then looking at the Zoom platform, there are some meetings that we've had um, that are face to face, but maybe there uh, there's distance between where the grantee is and where we are that the zoom platform can really help us with and, and really make it more efficient and for the um, the grantee too at the same time so I, I see those things really becoming more of a part of what we do going forward than in the past right thank you yeah, what other, I, I, Zoom is obviously something we're all <laughs> using. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, what are other, other folks finding out there that's useful? Yes, hi all. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, like uh, they spoke about uh, Zoom being used extensively for most meetings right now. That's the norm in our workplace as well. Um, I work for an organization headquartered in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, we are in the form of a public charity. We raise funds at the same time. We disperse funds to the grantee partners all around the world. And uh, one of the uh, non-technical thing, which is the new norm for us is homeschooling, like most of my colleagues on the call right now must be doing. And uh, everybody more or less who has kids uh, has to adopt to this new uh, work arrangement in which uh, you have to make uh, concessions for homeschooling. So that is uh, one of the things that our organization is flexible with. You can just talk to your manager and they are very accommodating that way. The other one is when do you return to work? Because a lot of states have different policies uh, in the um, way they are opening up the offices or workplaces right now. So our office has been very uh, flexible in that way as well. Um, anybody who's concerned about having a pre-existing condition or is concerned about health or something, they can just talk to the senior management and arrange uh, working from home for a long period of time, uh, even if the office is open. So that way they have made, made those accommodations for us. And uh, with the respect to technologies, uh, the other tool that we are using more extensively, we had that always along with Zoom is Jabber. That's a Cisco uh, tool to interact and have meetings. So Jabber is another technology that we have been uh, using now uh, more than before since the time of COVID. Huh. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, homeschooling, that's, I, I feel extremely fortunate that mine are, my, my kids are beyond that <laughs> at this point. I don't think I could do it. My name is Jeanette Hall and I'm with the Phoenixville Community Health Foundation. We're in um, Eastern Pennsylvania. And we were really fortunate going into this in that we had spent many months updating a really old business continuation plan. 
Um, and we had probably finished that about two weeks before this all broke, broke loose. Um, the plan was good. We covered everything we could think of. Um, but of all the disasters that we thought of, we never thought of pandemic, of course. Um, so when we went home, things were smooth. You know, a few little hiccups. But I think our, our new normal um, is not going to be what it was for a very long time. Um, we have a lot of groups that meet in our building, and, and that won't be for, you know, who knows how long. Um, and so I see Zoom as a platform being used for those groups for many, many months. Um, our technology wasn't so bad, except that um, most of us in the office had PCs. Fortunately, you know, had either PCs or laptops at home. But we will look at our technology needs going forward. And one of the first things we will do when, when we are back is uh, we will meet and discuss what things could have been done better. Mm. And we will make sure we get those things in place um, and that we are all completely set up properly. Like for me, for instance, it might seem like a small thing, but not having dual monitors um, really hinders my work, really slows me down. Um, so we'll put all the things in place at home that can make us 100% functional. Um, and, and probably um, what we're discussing is that we may each work from home at least once a month to make sure that we still have all work at home plans completely up to date and working properly. That's an excellent idea. Yeah, there's all sorts of yeah, situations where the, where we need to be prepared to do this quickly. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, we've been updating our plan as we've been at home, too, just based on little things we're finding and correcting and, um, you know, obviously intend to stay on top of this plan. And again, so grateful that we had just updated it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's quite fortunate. <laughs> yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh huh. Hi, this is Lori Perkins. I'm the grants manager with Osherman Family Foundation. We're in um, Frederick, Maryland. And I um, actually wanted to just second something. I noticed somebody in the chat box just mentioned that um, they were encouraged not to use Zoom because of security concerns. And um, I I'm sure there are people using um, free and paid versions of Zoom out there, but one of our uh, local nonprofits was Zoom bombed by someone that shared a screen with child pornography on it. So I wanted to just, um, make sure that, that you and hopefully your nonprofits are all using, um, using a password, using the, the best version of Zoom if you're going to use it that you can afford. And um, when you don't have to um, allow screen sharing by other users, make it um, accessible only to the host. Extremely good words of caution. Thank you, Laurie. Mm -hmm. I'm Susan Haley from the Dean and Margaret Lesher Foundation in Northern California. We are a small staffed family foundation. We, as of the day that we started sheltering in place, we had, we have three employees. It was someone's very first day working for us. And <laughs> it was, she came in, we're going, this is really weird and things are happening. And, and then at noon they said, oh, shelter in place is being called. So we kind of tossed her a laptop and said, here's how you get on Duo Mobile. Like, we'll see ya. And <laughs> so it's been a little awkward, but I'm, 
so since we have a small staff foundation, we all kind of have private offices. So we tend to be six feet apart from one another anyway, but, and we don't get a lot of foot traffic in, but we've been discussing kind of permanently working, um, trying to figure out like a staggered schedule, like maybe one day a week, all three of us being in the office, just so we can communicate easier. And then maybe um, each person will be in the office another day a week and then, you know, maybe a little bit of overlap and then we're talking about keeping our office door locked and putting a sign on it and saying, you know, if you're a delivery person, please just leave your staples.com box outside the door. And um, if you need to come in, please call us and, you know, tell us who you are so that we don't have kind of random people coming in. And so, but we're kind of thinking that, um, you know, we, we've done, we used to do site visits for every single grant application. And now we're doing a lot of phone, phone calls and email back and forth and, and Zoom meetings. And I just think that this is kind of going to turn into the new normal. So, but we're at least that, that way. Yeah. And as I said, we're thinking about kind of permanent staggered scheduling. So, which is kind of a drag, but because you enjoy that back and forth in camaraderie with your colleagues, but I guess it is what it is. And I do love my commute now. <laughs> and I haven't worn hard shoes in two months. Right. <laughs> Hi, this is Linda Gebhardt. I'm with the Community Foundation of Southern Wisconsin. So we cover, we go from Lake Geneva to the Mississippi and up across the Wisconsin River into the Dells. So we have a nine county area. I think the one thing that we've come through with this because we have two satellite offices and one main office, I think the one thing I feel we're 11 staff, I think we have really gotten closer. We do Monday, all staff Zoom, Wednesdays, donor service Zooms, um, but I think in all, I just got off this morning before this um, webinar, we did our first Zoom grant reception because we can't do it in person this year. Um, we set everybody up 15 minutes apart and the board was on and we did things and it seemed to go real well. Um, it's, I know we're gonna have a new norm when all this is over, but I think you know, we're also looking at maybe working, you know, there's two of us in my office working different days. Um, you know, there's still precautions. You know, people can't walk in because we're in a bank anyway. We get donated space, so it's all secured up where we are anyway. But I think it's, in some ways, it's brought in us to be more creative, more, you know, even just being on, sometimes you'd go all week and not talk to somebody in the main office. But this twice a week now, I think we're all we're all in the same boat, and I think it's it's brought us all closer. and And we've kind of gotten to a more holistic grant approach where we've been more lenient with what they need their money for because things have changed. So I think all in all, you know, I don't think our work status at our foundation has changed. We've been just as productive, I believe. I've heard. Uh, you know, a lot of folks saying that they feel much more productive um, having the focused, uh, being able to focus, you know, depending on what their 
situation is. But yeah, this there's nothing like a emergency pandemic situation to get us thinking if should we do things the way we've always done things or are there opportunities for learning here? Thank you for that. Um, I think let's let's move on. The last topic that we were thinking of is you know sometimes I think grant makers um, we may especially program officers, folks who are working with the nonprofits and, and really have that line of trusted communications, maybe learning things that uh, would kind of shake up the way foundations do business. And, and I wonder um, if, if anyone has experience with this and, and how do you manage to um, relay what you have learned and the important things that you're hearing, how do you relay those to leadership, to your board? Yes, James Patterson from uh, Northern Illinois Community Foundation again. Um, well, so this is a mixed bag for us here. Um, we feel like we're trying to do some things to share what we're learning. One of the things we did was we created a um, of a spreadsheet that outlined the different types of grant amendment requests we're getting from our grantees from the most recently uh, completed cycle. And um, it's pretty clear when you look at that document, just the need that's out there and the amount of change and adapting that they're having to do. So that was one piece. And then we are working with coalition of funders and um, capacity building organizations in our region. And um, we did a survey to the to um, all nonprofits in our community um, to kind of find out what their needs were and uh, what kind of financial shape they were in right now and and the degree of, of financial hardship they're facing. And so we put together based on that survey um, a kind of a graphic summary with different charts that showed different aspects of the crisis really for the nonprofits out there and shared that um, with our board as well. Um, and of course, we, we anecdotally give information to our board and, and uh, our committees at the same time. The sort of the mixed bag part here is, is that um, I'm not sure they're, they're getting it. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure that they understand the degree of the need and uh, you know working directly with the nonprofits it's a lot easier for us obviously to see that and um, we've got relationships with these folks um, but um, at this point it's been a little bit like pushing a boulder up a hill and um, I'm hoping that that will continue to improve as we go through and maybe gather more information and continue to to try to educate and and that sort of thing but um, there is a it feels like there's a strong um, sort of conservative element to the board right now, which didn't really show itself, you know, because we were doing what we normally did. And um, now that we're trying to uh, be more progressive and more, um, uh, you know, ahead of the curve, so to speak, um, proactive, um, it's, it's not been as smooth as staff would like. Well, I understand that. Um, I, I like the using data and presenting it in palatable, you know, visual ways. That that yeah. seems like a very good idea. What what are 
what are other folks doing um, to kind of present this information if it's not being well necessarily as, as, as well received as we might want it to be? One of my strengths has been I have a board member that really gets it. And so um, one of our strategies has really been that she and I connect more frequently to talk through kind of what the issues are. I'll just give one example um, of a, maybe a sticking point is our board generally, you know, respects the 5% payout and we're trying to push beyond that. We have a little bit of a capitalism mindset and so it's hard for us to understand <laughs> You know that this is a different type of scenario and so instead of just painting the picture like we have to do this we're, we're trying to model out different scenarios and so we have a strategy in place in which she kind of helps set the tone and then i come in with the recommendation um but we also tag have team. we're yeah definitely a tag team that's for sure and it's a leverage point right so she's got different type of weight in the room than i do i think it's also a point of um we have some donor advised funds that we've had for years and so it gave us an opportunity to rethink what our strategy was around using those donor advised funds you know those are things that have been sitting there they've had a purpose but not necessarily maybe that's our you know if we're uncomfortable with increasing our spend this year in our private foundation can we use the spend in the donor advised funds and so it's it's getting people comfortable with like what we're not we're not depleting all of our funds we're not being irresponsible about it because it's easy to, to think in extremes right now so trying to find some level ground and, and finding different models that feel more comfortable. So it's, it's a little bit of a polling, an ongoing polling to see where people are at. Yep, thank you, appreciate that. Uh, it looks like we may, there may be one uh, hand. I think we have time for one more, one more comment. I'm with the Potomac Health Foundation. We're here in Northern Virginia. Um, so we're a health conversion foundation and so, um, a lot of our board members are old hospital execs. So we had success <laughs> uh, with our board meeting last week um, that everyone was able to get on Zoom and, and to have those meetings. Um, and so with that, as far as that community voice, we found that hearing it from the grantees, the nonprofits, and we've invited them in the past to present at our board meetings. And so now that we know that, um, our board can actually utilize Zoom effectively, uh, that we plan to continue to utilize that model um, so that they can hear that, um, those stories from our grantees and some of the struggles that they're going through now. We have health safety nets that we fund and we've been convening meetings with them and as a team, and there's three of us on our team um, that we are aware of those challenges that are going on in the community, um, but we recognize that they can articulate it so much better um, than we can. Great. I love that. That's, that's great. Thank you. All right. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining today. This has been um, a really nice, uh, positive break to the day. I always enjoy hearing from everybody and um, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you all for joining us. So that was our conversation. There were so many ideas and so many new ideas because this is a new situation. We're gonna keep bringing you conversations like this following the coffee talks that we host online. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Foundant Technologies. And we wanna hear from you. Unlike a lot of podcasts out there, 
you can participate yourself by registering for one of our Coffee Talk webinars. You can register for a webinar or access additional resources by clicking on the links in the episode notes. So from everyone at Founded Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk.